Greetings and salutations. My name is Phil Pearson, and I'm the ministry director here at St. Pete's. I'll start off by sending out the grades four to six to your uh, St. Pete's kids leader, Chan. I'm having a bit of asthma issues, so I'm just going to take my puffer. I know. I'm sorry. That's my life. Yeah, we're here. Okay. Well, sorry. Um, that's a, I was thinking about it, and in the 10 years over which I've preached, that's the first time I've ever had to take my puffer on stage, but all week my asthma's been a little worse. Um, we are in the middle of two series at the same time, you could say. First, we're exploring the book of Philippians, this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And through that, we're exploring our five core values as a church here at St. Pete's. And I have the joy to preach about our value of default to prayer. And as you saw in the text here in Philippians, Paul is heavily inspired to this desire of default to prayer. He says again and again, rejoice always, pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. And that's beautiful. I love that image, and, and it can be challenging for many of us, though. And here at St. Pete's, with that language, default to prayer, we say that we want prayer to be as easy, as natural, as breathing. But... As you just saw, I have asthma. And breathing can be a little bit of a challenge. Does anyone else here have asthma, or is it just me? Okay, we've got a couple. I was going to say, like, show your blue puffers so we really know, because otherwise, if you're not carrying it, you don't got asthma. But for those of us with asthma, breathing is challenging, right? Anything can suddenly trigger a bad asthma attack. This week, I've actually had quite bad asthma. There's either a pollen out, or a mold, or ragweed, or something. I could be doing cardio, I could have a cold. In some situations, a, an odd bowel movement can trigger an asthma attack, which was a very interesting thing to learn when I was 16. But there are moments where suddenly an asthma attack kicks in. And during an asthma attack, if you're ever curious what's going on, your bronchial tubes, your lungs, if you are asthmatic, are a little bit misshapen. And during an asthma attack, the muscles around the bronchial tubes clench. And so basically, they make your, your lungs basically like a crunched straw to breathe through. And over time, if you keep on having an asthma attack, what happens is you get a lot of inflammation in your lungs, you have bruising and damage, which then means you have a higher ability to have more frequent asthma attacks. And this was the case for me about six years ago. Um, I'd been having quite a bad time with my asthma, and I wasn't really doing anything with it other than having my blue inhaler. And my wife, um, we were engaged at the time. She's like, you need to go to a respiratory therapist. And I was like, I'm fine. But she was like, I want to have you around for a while, which I thought was very loving of her. So I went to the respiratory therapist. He did all sorts of tests, listened to my lungs. And then he just asked me a simple question. He said, how many times a week do you take your blue rescue inhaler? Salbutamol, 100 milligrams. And I, I had to think about it for a minute, kind of did some math. I was like, well, on average, I take it about five times a day, so 35 times a week. And his jaw like hit the floor when I said I was taking my puffer 35 times a week. And I asked, is that too many times? And he said, it's about 34 times too many to be using your puffer. He said, are you constantly shaking? And I said, always, like I have a natural tremor. He goes, that's not a natural tremor. You just have too much Ventolin at all times in your system. And I was dealing with the effects of it. And what he said is, your lungs are damaged. They're bruised, they're inflamed. So we need to begin to do some work on that. Why all this talk about asthma? Well, breathing naturally, prayer. Here's the thing, if I were to give a diagnosis for the church across North America and for the average Christian, I would say our prayer life is probably rather asthmatic. 
It's fits and starts, filled with wheezing and coughing. It's a struggle for us to pray normally. And so when we pray, when Paul says, pray without ceasing, it's almost a joke to us. We're like, we struggle to pray normally most of the time. But there's this emphasis that Paul has again and again about making a life of prayer continual and as natural as possible. So we have some work to do. So what I want to talk about today is two things. I want to talk about how can we potentially live a life of continued prayer? What are the things that we can do to do that? And then what happens as a result of that? How does, we, how does that sound? How do we do that? And what will happen if we make a life of prayer continual? Are you with me? Okay. Well, um, let me read one more time from Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9. Um, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about every, anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And one more passage just from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18 is, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, before we get to the how, I do briefly want to address the why. And here's the thing, I had originally written quite a long defense of why we should pray and that sort of thing. But as you read through the New Testament, especially engage with Paul, it is a non-negotiable prayer. He just brings it up again and again and again. So I'm going to go against my normal instincts, which is try to explain everything. And I'm just going to say, Paul thinks that it is so important to pray continually. And I'm not going to argue with him. I'm going to take his words as gospel. So why do we pray? Well, we're going to pray because Paul tells us to and because Jesus exemplifies it. And that is the central part of the life of faith. And I'll leave it at that. But right now, let's talk about how. So after I went to my respiratory therapist and he picked up his jaw from the floor and he said, my lungs were damaged, you're shaking all the time. He said, we have some work to do. So he gave me two different prescriptions. First, he gave me a very ample supply of Ventolin, which is my blue rescue inhaler, salbutamol, 100 milligrams. And he's like, you're going to keep on having a lot of asthma attacks and we need to make sure you survive them. And that was the thing with blue puffers. It's there to, what they do is release the clenching muscles around your lungs. And he goes, but we also need to treat the damage you've done to your lungs. And so he gave me a preventative inhaler. He gave me Symbicort 200 milligrams. And Symbicort is a corticosteroid that treats the inflammation and bruising on your lungs. And nobody thought they were getting a medical lesson when you came to St. Pete's (laughs) this morning. And I am not a doctor, but I'm only repeating everything that my doctor had told me. But the reason I say this is what Paul does when trying to get us to live a life of continual prayer is he actually gives us two types of prescriptions. First, he gives us rescue inhalers. He says, your prayer life is out of whack, but let me point you in the direction of how to pray more regularly throughout the day. And then he provides a preventative inhaler. And so we'll go through both of those. So what are the rescue inhalers? In Philippians 4, Paul writes this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This is the first rescue inhaler that Paul provides for us. It's the good, the beautiful, the wonderful, the true, the excellent, the wonderful and joyful things that happen in life. C.S. Lewis, he has this beautiful line. He says, 
Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far-off and momentary glimpses are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. The first rescue inhaler that Paul gives us is joy. Moments of joy, of pleasure, of excitement are meant to get us to run the sunbeam back up to the sun. Have you seen In the Heights by Lin-Manuel Miranda? Okay, we've got three people. You're missing out. I've got a great movie for you to watch tonight. When you get home, it's on Disney Plus, In the Heights, originally a Broadway musical about Washington Heights. And there's a, a matriarch in the story, Abuela Claudia, and during a turning moment in the, in the story, which I won't reveal, but there's this song about her, and it says this. She sang the praises of things we ignore. Glass Coke bottles, breadcrumbs, and a sky full of stars. She cherished these things. She said, alabanza. Alabanza means to raise this thing to God's face, to say, thank you for this. So the first simple rescue inhaler that Paul gets us to get us to start breathing, to get us to start praying normally, is joy. To say, when we experience good things, alabanza, God, thank you for this. Throughout the day, Things will come up and we can simply say, thank you. But after talking about rejoicing always, talking about the good, the beautiful, and the true, then Paul moves on and he talks about anxiousness and anxiety. And it's important to note that there's a distinction between anxiety and being anxious. Paul is not saying don't have a generalized anxiety disorder. He's saying don't be anxious about the day-to-day things in life. And I want to say that here at St. Pete's, we believe that anxiety and mental health challenges are real. And if you're struggling with them, we have a great list of counselors that we'd love to point you to. We'd love to pray with you and begin that journey with you. But Paul is not addressing a mental health challenge. He's expressing the regular anxieties that all of us feel every single day. The word, uh, the Greek word that's used is merimaneo, and it can be translated as don't be of two minds. Don't be pulled apart. Don't be running in all directions. And this is actually pointing back to earlier in Philippians when Paul says, be of one mind, be unified in Christ. And so when he says, don't be merimaneo, he's saying, don't be of multiple minds, don't be scattered, instead be unified in your thinking. And anxious is actually a very good way to describe that then, because what happens when we're anxious? Well, then our minds are running all these directions. We think about all the things going wrong in the world. We think about all the things we have to do, and it just begins stacking up. But Paul takes anxiousness and our anxieties, our worries, our doubts, and our frustrations, and he again uses them as an opportunity for a rescue inhaler. Praise him. Bring all your requests to God with thanksgiving. Bring them to God and just pray them. And I want to give a, a very important word of encouragement. Depending on the tradition you grew up in, prayer can be really hard, and it seems like we might have to give proper language when we pray. But that's not actually praying our anxieties well. And what the Psalms invite us to do is pray our frustrations and our anxieties and our worries and our angers well. Tish Harrison Warren, in her book, Prayer Through the Night, she has this beautiful line, and she says, It is better to come to God with sharp words than to remain distant from him, never voicing our doubts and disappointment. Better to rage at the Creator than to smolder in polite devotion. And and Paul is pointing us, Pray those feelings. In 1 Corinthians, he uses the Aramaic word, Maranatha. 
And Maranatha is a beautiful prayer. It simply means, come, Lord. Be here. We're in turmoil. We need you. And so our anxieties and worries, they should lead us to this simple prayer. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Be here. If you want to learn to begin to pray continually all through the day, pray your joys and your anxieties. They'll come up a thousand times a day in a thousand different ways and point your heart and head and mind to God. You're going to work, you're on the bus, and you see the sunset on the beautiful North Shore Mountains. God, thank you for color, for light, for sunsets and sunrises, alabanza. You're fighting with your partner, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're hurting. Maranatha, Lord, come here, be here. You eat a delicious taco paired with a wonderful margarita. You give thanks for corn tortillas, for carnitas, for farmers, for avocados, for limes. Alabanza. You're waiting back to hear from a doctor. You're in hard news. I'm overcome with stress. Maranatha. 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 Joy. Alabanza. Anxiety, worry, frustration, anger, sadness, Maranatha. And when we pray these things in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our joys, we realize something beautiful. We're not alone. Paul sneaks in that, that simple sentence, God is near. He gives it no further explanation. It's all you need to know. So to Paul, he gives us these two things to get us praying and breathing regularly through the day, joy and anxiety. And then he gives us a very interesting preventative inhaler, Symbacort. Um, in Philippians 4.9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So Paul is relying on his relational level with the church in Philippi. He'd been with them 10 years prior, planted this church. They'd seen him live out his faith. They'd seen him pray at all times. And one of the really important things with Paul, of course, is that he was Jewish. And, and that shouldn't be a surprise to us. He, he was from Jerusalem. He's writing to them this important letter. And a really important thing to understand is that for Jewish men in the first century, they would have set times and words of prayer. Every morning and evening, they would pray the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it would walk them through how they were saved from Egypt, how God loves them, and how they were to live. They would pray it again and again, these set words. They had regular and set times of prayer. And if you want to begin to learn to pray without ceasing, well, you've got to begin your morning with it. You've got to end your day with it. And Paul would have lived this example to them. And this is actually one of the great strengths of our Anglican heritage. When Thomas Cranmer helped found the Anglican church, he collected the Book of Common Prayer. He set out the daily offices, morning and evening prayer, and he just fell into the tradition that had already been there. But to him, if you want to begin to learn to pray continually, you need to do the work of setting the time out. And maybe you think, well, I don't need set words or set times. I can just breathe on my own. But the truth is you're asthmatic. I don't know what healthy breathing is like. At one point in the middle of the pandemic, somebody described what breathing was for them while they had COVID. And I thought, that's me most days. We don't know how bad our breathing is until we begin breathing for the first time. Another great line from Tish Harrison Warren, she just says this. She says, I've come to believe that in order to sustain faith over a lifetime, we need to learn different ways of praying. Because prayer is a vast territory with room for silence and shouting, 
for creativity and repetition, for original and received prayers, for imagination and reason. And she's falling on what Paul had taught, follow his pattern, put into practice what he did, and he would have lived out these set times of prayer again and again and again. And they inform our day. They begin our day with prayer and they end our day with prayer. So that's just at least three simple ways that we can begin to pray continually. And there are many more practices of journaling, of resting, of meditating, of silence, all of them important. But I don't want to have an hour sermon today. So what happens when we learn to pray without ceasing? What happens if we actually begin to ride the sunbeam to the sun? What happens if we put in a little bit of this work? Well, I want to make something clear because it's always dangerous when we talk about prayer that we can think, well, if I do all this work, God will love me more. God will be more apt to answer my prayers. If I'm a good prayer, if I say the right things, then I will have God's attention. And I'm not saying that at all. I don't think if you pray more, God will answer your prayers more. And maybe that's controversial, and I hope it's not. But I don't think us doing work is going to get God's ear closer to us, because as Paul already said, God is near. But I do believe this. First, God answers prayer. But in every prayer, something is happening to us. Paul puts it this way. And I lost my line. Um, Oh, yep. First of all, Paul puts it this way. He says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To Paul, the result of continual prayer, of constant rejoicing, of constant bringing our anxieties and worries, is peace. And it's not simply this peace like everything's going to be all right. It's not a bumper sticker that says everything's going to be all right, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. No, it's nothing like that. This is actually a supernatural peace, a peace beyond understanding. It's peace when everything's going wrong. It's peace when cells are multiplying. It's peace when the temperature is rising. It's peace in the brokenness. I've been thinking through my own life in prayer, and I have to admit, I have not ascended the mountaintop of prayer. I am in the thick of it. I'm learning continually how to do this, and I forget often. But I was thinking back to when in my life I've experienced this, this peace from continued prayer. And I experienced it when my mom passed away. A year and a half ago, my mom died of an eight-year battle with cancer. And the, the week before she passed, my dad called me and my aunt and uncle had said, Phil needs to come home right away. So the next day, I got on a plane, flew home, and I got to spend a day with my mom at home. And then I got to spend the next seven days with her in the hospice. And I don't want to cry here because I need to keep on going. But I got to sit with her in the hospice for seven days. I'd wake up eat breakfast, sit at the hospice for 12 hours. And all I did during that time, all I could do was pray, and my prayers were often nothing more than Maranatha. God, help God be here. I prayed for healing, but it didn't come. And that was okay. But death the whole time was knocking at the door. But what I did experience during that time was peace a peace that I cannot explain, a peace that guarded my heart and mind from 
tsunamis of pain. And I got to hold my mom's hand. And it is a joy to experience that type of peace, to walk through it, to gift that to other people. And as other people came in to visit my mom and their hearts broke, I got to be peace for them. I got to be a non-anxious presence for them. And it wasn't because God was making me better. It's because he was there. I could sense his presence in that room. This peace we experience is so profound. And it is a gift to receive if we can make space for it. And I think part of the reason we experience this peace is actually quite beautifully theological. We experience this peace when we enter into true continual prayer because we're actually living into the path that Jesus has set before us. Earlier in Philippians, Paul writes this beautiful creed, and I preached on it a few weeks ago, but it's so important to go back to. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, when we learn to default to prayer, what we begin to do is look a lot more like Jesus, whose image we were created in. We begin to not go to God as something to be grasped or used to our advantage. He's not the power to grab. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's a father, a friend, and a comforter. And as we enter into that humbly, we begin to follow that path of Jesus, and what happens is that God, through Jesus, lifts us up. We experience true joy, not as a reward for being good, but because space has been made to know that God is near. Praying continually always means we're in touch with the God who's present. We're in touch with the God of joy, of love. We're in touch with the God who died for us. We're in touch with the God who's near and good. We don't earn joy or goodness. We experience it because God is present and he over flows with joy and goodness. What we realize when we begin to pray continually is God is the oxygen in our lungs helping us breathe. We experience true breathing for the first time. And to me, this is what happens when we can make prayer our default. This is why I want our church to be a church that defaults to prayer in all things. Because the more and more we do that, the more we will sense God's presence in our midst and we will live out of that. We will continue to follow God in his kenosis and his pouring himself out, and we will do the same. So St. Peter's, my benediction to you this week is simple. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. May prayer be as easy as breathing, and may the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, fill your lungs with his oxygen and love. May you experience his peace 
and goodness through continued prayer. And with that, let me pray.